Najkid, what do you feel about these times? And if possible, can you describe in six words? Um, yeah, well, so I thought of six words that seem to match my uh, feelings about the times we live in. Um, let me start with terrifying because that's uh, that's one of the emotions that I've felt consistently over the last few weeks yeah. at what we are up against. Um, however, to sort of uh, substantiate that feeling of uh, terror, I must say that the the notion of things becoming clarified has also popped up in my head fairly often things seem fairly clear as to where people stand and uh, where the forces that are up against each other stand in some sense despite all the obfuscation and misinformation that's out there mm-hmm. um opportunity is another one although the, i know this sounds like a, a lame corporate keyword uh, opportunity Nonetheless, uh, I think we we have an opportunity to do something. Um, insurgency is also another another word that seems to describe how I feel. As in, I feel like this is a good time to become an insurgent. <laughs> Maybe not necessarily an insurgent in the sense that I'm fighting for a separate nation, but, uh, but uh, something that manifests an underground current that's uh, going against going against the flow of of these times. Um, revolution is another obvious one but perhaps again a revolution redefined redefined to suit our our situation in our context so maybe not once again something like the bolshevik revolution yeah. or uh, taking control of the state mm. but nonetheless a radical transformation so those are five mm. words and the last word is a nonsense word mm. it's dada okay dada because uh, i mean the idea of dada came about at a time when things seemed to have gone really haywire hmm. the first world war had just broken out uh, the best of europe's and india's and africa's young generation were being used as cannon fodder in som and verda and people came up with with the notion that well everything is falling apart so hmm. what better time to uh, create something new and it does seem like today everything is falling apart right and it's frankly quite marvelous in the sense that we now have the opportunity hmm. which is why i put that word in there nice. because i mean politics has turned into a sort of reality show and nothing substantiates that better than the terrible events in the recent history of the american republic um religion has become a sort of uh, basically kowtows to the wills of tyrants and terribly oppressive regimes you know i mean none better exemplified than the regime that we have in india so when all these old institutions of mankind and of human civilization have been perverted have fallen apart and have basically lost all meaning yeah. i think dada <laughs> would exemplify times fairly accurately yeah it's true it's, there's the connotation of dadagiri also going on <laughs> <laughs> that's right uh-huh. that's right well we need to come up with our own dadagiri bilkul right? bilkul we don't have to call us Dadaists, you know all these socialists and uh, communists, and we can always adopt uh, Dada Konke also. Sure, Dada Konke, the hero of our times. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so do you feel like you are in control? Well, you know, it's it's hard to say whether one is in control or not because uh, really, I don't think there is a lot that's going on that I can control at the moment. 
but what i do feel like is some strange sense of responsibility but also and maybe this is something that's common to my generation that came of age at at the time when lemon brothers was mm-hmm. going bankrupt and so there is a strange parallel in the sense that well you know this slightly destructive uh, uh, moment when you're no longer a child mm-hmm. happened in parallel with the moment where the world itself uh, was sort of broken out of its end of history kind of stupor in the 90s when i was a child we grew up in a world that prepared us for happy meals and cartoon network uh, this this lemon brothers collapsing and then the world going for a toss seemed synchronized with the moment of you know the hard realization that you're not a child anymore so i don't feel like i'm in control but i do feel like i have some individual uh, capacity to change things yeah. and the more you put off that moment of dealing with uh, not being a child anymore or being an adult the worst things are going to get hmm. what can we try as a mechanism of understanding what people want can we trust the so called wisdom of the crowd right i guess uh, it depends on what you mean by wisdom because by by wisdom if you mean something like considered opinion hmm. i have very little faith in the wisdom of the crowd in that sense because the problem is that uh, the more time you get to think about something the more time there is for people to manipulate what you're thinking mm-hmm. and uh, and the mass in that sense i think is fairly poorly informed and very easily manipulable as well when you have these electoral campaigns for instance and you know these electoral campaigns that go on for 2 years 14 months there is so much time to manipulate and yeah. uh, there is very little wisdom left anymore Hmm. so in that sense i don't believe in the wisdom of the crowd okay. but if by wisdom we merely mean people's reactions to immediate phenomena there i do have tremendous belief in the wisdom of of the crowd hmm. because i think i mean human imagination in just begins by putting yourself in someone else's place and uh, that's sort of how we relate to the world in the sense as in if we see a glass fall and break we flinch because the the shattering is somehow resonates with us so in yeah. that sense i think the way people react immediately to something can be much more wise than if you give them time like the instinctual is more honest than something that has time to be analyzed yes yes because i mean if things were different in the sense that if our education system wasn't in such shambles hmm. and you know uh, what we heard on the mass media had reflected or or encouraged the voice of reason that we have within us hmm. then i have much more faith in the wisdom of the crowd and yeah. in the capacity of uh, societies to govern themselves yeah. the way stand now i have uh, almost no faith in it makes sense okay what is believability for you and is it important oh you know i think so for instance in literature hmm. what makes a work of literature believable is is not necessarily whether the chain of events uh, that are depicted in it uh, fit to some pattern of cause and effect that i think are plausible hmm. but uh, rather something that something that resonates with something secret inside me one of my favorite authors is dh uh, dh lawrence mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. when i i was reading uh, sons and lovers last year and you know, there is a very small a uh, section in that book where the protagonist goes out with his mother to the town mm-hmm. for a mm-hmm. shopping trip and they they sort of sit down in a restaurant and order for some food and his mother doesn't want to spend too much money so she just lets him eat and sits there and mm-hmm. and the, 
way he described that entire sort of everyday thing hmm. i mean is it believable i don't know because he didn't give so many details about you know all the table was made out of this kind of wood hmm. but just the, the atmosphere that it created resonated very deeply with me i mean the experience that i had with going out with my mother yeah. so but uh, that's believability does not necessarily match authenticity okay yeah that's also the problem with the news and everything these days right like what can be made to be believable in that sense that is true that is so true i mean this whole uh, this whole thing about fake news that is going on i wonder what makes it believable for people right i mean exactly yeah my my first instinct is to check multiple sources but that is also because ever since i was a kid i've been in the Hmm. reading four or five different newspapers every day cross checking your sources yeah always hmm. inevitable critical thinking that's how it forms so. I, i exactly because you get multiple points of view i mean it's rashomon hmm. one event narrated by five different divisions yeah. takes on completely different shades and turns of meaning all five accounts of the same event can be equally believable right so right it's necessary to match them up against each other and, and then form an opinion if you have to makes sense yeah So how do you use a library and what are your strategies for accessing unfamiliar perspectives Yeah the, this is this is a great question now I I must admit the last time I used like a traditional library was in college over here where I am in Amsterdam and even the libraries that I frequented in Paris mm. all those are modern libraries and you have to go in there knowing what you want sort of they all have these cataloging systems now books are stored away in depots and when you order them someone goes and picks mm. them up for you however my strategy for accessing unfamiliar perspectives i thought of this uh, interview that the uh, bilingual marathi english poet mm. kolatkar gave once mm-hmm. and i think it's yunis disuza who is asking him these questions he says that he has a supermarket attitude towards literature in the sense that he uh, is guided purely by his curiosity in that sense yeah. and he picks up anything that catches his interest and i have tried to uh, unconsciously emulate that uh, in my own practice uh, one of the things that has opened me up to really unfamiliar perspectives is uh, mm. reading history because the history book tends to point you in to many more directions than most novels can particular historian actually that has opened me is uh, sanjay subramanyam mm-hmm. uh, because he writes these polyglot multilingual uh, that really opened me up to a completely different view of the early modern world mm. i think cosmopolitanism opens you up and when you start reading primary texts you mm. you find some very strange unexpected things in there right so moving to a different track can pretending to be an expert actually be a ploy for becoming an expert so you know i i think that's actually the best ploy to becoming an becoming an expert and it reminded me of uh, this book uh, voyage to the end of the night in english i think it's called hmm. and you know in in that book uh, early on in the book the protagonist has a very strange experience in that he he has a girlfriend within scare quotes mm. who is like a socialite uh, social butterfly sort of figure now in in the 20s in paris there are a lot of rich argentinian businessmen who live there mm-hmm. and this girl ends up frequenting a lot of them except he is a complete bum as in you know he would not be presentable in any of the elegant salons 
So what he has to end up doing is sort of accompany her to the building and then wait downstairs. Mm. Now what happens is that this girl obviously turns into a sort of uh, classy companion and uh, sexual consort to these uh, uh, rich Argentinian businessmen. Mm. And since he accompanies her to all these parties, the businessman, chauffeur, the building's concierge, they all start treating him like her pimp. Uh, uh-huh. And in the end, he does end up occupying that role. Uh-huh. He he actually becomes the girl's pimp. Right, right. And I think that is that is sort of the way in which you become an expert. In mm-hmm. that sense, that more people start treating you as an expert on something. Mm-hmm. And the more you sort of start accepting that role, and now if someone has the ambition to be an expert on something, all he has to do is to not even, you know, mm. unconsciously become one, but consciously play that role. So, and it will happen. So it's the role playing that you're talking about. It reminds me of uh, The Guide, right? R.K. Narayan. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. He becomes an expert on when it's going to rain, yeah. just because people start treating him, treating him like that. I think I think that's how you become an expert, really. <laughs> it's not very charitable towards experts to compare them to a, a godman or a pimp. But, you know. hmm. um, but so do you think Google is an expert? Uh, Google is interesting. I mean, Google is sort of the, where we outsource our brain to now. Hmm. Because, you know, earlier if you had to know something, then you actually had to know it. Hmm. Now you really have to think it and you know either say it out loud into your phone or type it out and then you know it so uh, google might be an expert but a very um, personalized expert yeah uh, so is it possible to be an expert lay person well you know again kolatkar right i, I think uh, he would be a, an excellent example of an expert lay person because of his disdain for sort of professional expertise hmm. and the only way a lay person can become an expert is by following their own curiosity and, and in that sense uh, they really can't help anyone else with their expertise because it it's for one's own personal uh, satisfaction desire for knowledge mm. i think a lay person can become an become an expert and and be a lay person at the same time right I, that on the other hand i think is a salutary ambition so it's kind of like becoming an expert of your life it's as simplistic as that right yeah. right i mean you're really engaging with the world then, aren't you? Rather than sort of uh, pinking out your knowledge for some cause or the other. And I mean, you become more comfortable with your own mind as well because I think most people are fairly alienated from their own consciousness. As in, not in the Marxist sense, but in the sense that if you ask someone to consider their own minds, I think people would come away mostly confused. Mm. A whole bunch of things go in there without us even realizing it. So... If you're more conscious about it, I think it it helps you, as you said, becoming an expert on your own life. Hmm. How can, to flip the question, how can an expert look at situations in a non-expert way? Well, you know, my first answer was that it's impossible because experts tend to uh, deal in certitudes. Hmm. Humility is the the only way for an expert to become a non-expert. So it would take a certain amount of uh, effort to actually put yourself out of that place. Yeah, I mean, you'd, you'd really have to uh, step out of those shoes of, of your expertise and acknowledge the the extent of your own ignorance hmm. to have some amount of humility. Academic writers that I admire hmm. uh, distinguish themselves from the rest precisely in their modesty. Hmm. 
and they also tend to be the ones who seem to be tremendously knowledgeable and and yet come across as really modest and you know always in the process i guess that's one way for an expert to be uh, look at things from a non expert's point of view in is in acknowledging the the process that they're, they're always in a process of gathering information reasoning it out thinking and maybe changing their ideas hmm. okay and to and now for something completely different make up a story yes. that describes you yeah so i i thought about this yesterday and i made up a story it's a slightly allegorical story because i i do think that life has all these allegorical resonances uh-huh. in the in its capacity to sort of signify beyond events and appearances hmm. i shall read it out please do a man walks into a diner orders a cream pie and sits down for a conversation with a black cat the cat dark with tufts of white hair under its soft belly wants to share its heterodox opinion on christian theology and particularly the rather prickly matter of transubstantiation while no disciple of luther he finds it rather absurd to assume that the body of christ could ever be contained within a wafer biscuit and his blood in a glass of wine transubstantiation and the whole sacrificial apparatus that surrounds it seems to be rather better suited to the holy spirit itself with the act of devouring the divine substance displaced unto the holy spirit the man quickly realizes what his feline pile is getting at and thinks about the theological edifice that has been presented to him and how it is sensible only to an animal that spends most of its spare time hunting down and eating pigeons hence the holy spirit he tells the creature this and the cat merely shrugs at uh, at the man's insight moves to a different corner of the room and begins his daily self sufficient ablutions administered with a wet tongue alone with a half eaten cream pie the man is set upon a reflection on what he has in common with conscious beasts like cat and how unlike creatures purely beholden to rude but efficient instinct they are so conscious beings find themselves compelled to provide theoretical scaffolding and ritual meaning to the acts of killing and devouring that make possible their very existence not to mention survival he wonders where he fits in in this entire scheme of uh, killing and devouring he who gave up and sacrifice he who gave up notions of sacred biscuits blessed wine divine pigeons or for that matter holy cows he thinks his faith in the invisible is no more and decides that from now on he will take his dessert at a rival establishment down the road officially for the superior quality of their cream pies but mainly to avoid this thoughtful and malicious creature he was just speaking to he finishes his pie asks the waitress to wrap up the nothing that was left on the dish picks up the empty brown paper bag and walks out into the morning sun well that was that was my story i i might have a hard time justifying how it <laughs> defines me at the moment yeah it was enjoyable actually uh, thank you it was painting a picture so okay great <laughs> um so and then of all the people that you are yes. who do you want to be all the time i would like to be what i am right now all the time 
you know just just a sort of disembodied voice uh, expostulating upon things <laughs> i i think suits me very well actually and this is what i would like to be all the time also being in dialogue you know not merely sort of expostulating from a podium but interacting thinking being thoughtful and uh, you know coming up with new ideas on the go i think we get very little time and opportunity in daily life but also in public life to have a dialogue and to really think of things together and come up with new ideas together and surprise ourselves while we are having this dialogue hmm. and hmm. i would like to be that as much as i can as often as i can hmm. yeah that's beautiful actually it's so yeah thank you so much nashiket we appreciate your taking the time thank you for having me